So in 2021, things were kind of crazy, right? And, uh, you know, I've been having these things pop up on, you know, social media, have these like reminders of what was happening at certain times, you know, in the last couple of years. And um, I remember at that time, it was like, man, things were just really tough. And it was like, I'm getting, I was getting sick of certain things. And, oh man, it's frustrating. And, and I was going to uh, a local restaurant um, from the hearth on a pretty regular basis to spend time, you know, preparing and studying and reading and things like that and drinking coffee. And, and I was at a pretty like, you know, like on a scale of, of like one to 10, you know, on like 10 being I'm fantastic and one being absolutely the worst ever. I was like at a three, I think emotionally. And uh, so I was at from the hearth and just sitting there and um, I was like, ah, I'm going to go to the bathroom because I have these conversations with myself like everybody else. And uh, I got up and I walked into the bathroom and on the, the little counter there, there was this little like invite card for uh, this church. And full disclosure, having been in church my whole entire life, and it's really hard not to like be super judgy about church marketing things. And I just remember this card was so poorly designed. I was like, this is just like not a graphic designer. It's absolutely garbage. Um, stupid. And I, I picked it up and I was like, oh, this is such a dumb idea. But on the back of it, it had this passage of scripture. And I read this passage of scripture and immediately had so much hope and love, like, meet me right there. And I was like, this is the most brilliant marketing product I've ever experienced. <laughs> like, we need to make more cheesy marketing things. Um, but on a serious note, it's really interesting because like I just I just read it and it was like a Bible verse and it had a had a little little invite thing on the other side and um, I think if I didn't work at a church and have to go to that church I might go to that church based off of this little invite card it was like that it was that that powerful and um, I, I'm sharing that because I I've heard story after story from people here at the vineyard about about who have come and who have, you know, one of the questions I like to ask is like, what brought you to the vineyard? And oftentimes people say Aaron Hall. They're like, oh, Aaron Hall invited me. Shout out to Aaron Hall over there. Um, or they name someone else, like so-and-so invited me. Um, but a lot of the time it's been things like that, where they, they saw an invite on Facebook or they saw a post on, on Instagram or these little cards that we have, these, these invite cards were given to them from someone they didn't even know. Like, oh, I, I, was, at, I was at Food Max in line and somebody handed me this, this invite card and that, that's what brought me to check this out. And so I really want to encourage you to, to think about that, how those little things like that, I mean, they are, on one hand, they're so dumb. It's so stupid that like these pieces of paper do that. But on the other hand, isn't it marvelous that God would, would utilize these little simple tools or things as a reminder or as invitations? And, and I, I will never forget that time because I remember just like maybe, and I'm not, like I think that design and all that stuff matters, but I was like, maybe it doesn't, it's not as important as we think, right? Like God will communicate to us through certain things at certain times what we need to hear and so this week, I would like to encourage you and challenge you for, for a couple of things. There's invite cards in here, postcards, 
I want you to think about someone you can be praying about who you could actually invite to one of our Easter services. Because here's what we're going to do at this coming Sunday's two Easter services. We are going to, number one, we're going to make much of Jesus, right? He is alive. Jesus is not in the tomb. He has been raised from the dead by the power of the Spirit. And that is good news, right? But number two is we're going to tell people about Jesus. It'll be an opportunity for your friends and your neighbors and your family members or maybe random people you invite to hear the gospel, the good news about who Jesus is, perhaps even for the first time in their life. And so I'd like to pray for a moment. And, and Father, I would ask for your Holy Spirit right now to give us, all of us in this room, Lord, direction on who we can invite. Lord, I pray right now that you'd bring to mind to everybody in this room someone who they haven't seen for a while or someone that they know is going through a really challenging time and or just anybody, Lord, that you, you would like to have us reach out to and extend, extend an invitation to. And Lord, I, I pray that you'd help give us each courage, give us hunger and desire for other people to know you, Jesus, that we would really buy into our mission to both know you and to make you known. We pray this in your name. Amen. So we're in this sermon series, and we're actually wrapping it up pretty much today. And we've been um, leaning into Lent, and Lent is this Christian season. It's a Christian holiday that Christians from all different denominations participate in. And Lent is a season that reminds us of repentance and sacrifice and surrender and helps intentionally to prepare us for Easter. The Easter celebration, it helps, it helps us lean into that. And, and so we've been, what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks is we've been reading selections from the Gospel of John and looking at these various stories from that Gospel about how Jesus lived, how He functioned, what He taught, what He did. And what I want to do this morning before we look at John chapter 12 and talk about the triumphant entry, what I want to do is set the context a, a little bit for us to kind of understand what's happening this far in the story. So that way, if you haven't been with us for a few weeks, that's absolutely fine. You can just jump in right now. But, you know, one of the important things about being able to understand Scripture and apply Scripture is that we have to understand it in its context. Plenty of uh, cults or religious organizations out there will, will say, well, this is the Bible verse that we use to prove this radical, crazy idea and it sounds, oh yeah, maybe that verse is saying that. But if you look in the context of the passage, oftentimes you'll realize that no, it's not saying that. It's actually saying the opposite of that uh, in some cases. But in this passage here, what we have happening is we have entered into the Passover season. And so in all of Israel, the Jewish people were beginning to look forward to this huge celebration of Passover. That's what's happening. It's a week before Passover. So the time for Passover has come. It's the, it's the moment in the Jewish tradition where they look back to when Israel was enslaved in Egypt and God sovereignly and miraculously saved them from that moment and brought them out of, out of Egypt in the Exodus story. And so the Passover was a really, really big central feast in the Jewish tradition. 
Uh, we also have seen that Lazarus has been raised from the dead. Okay, so he was dead. Four days later, Jesus comes on the scene and says, Lazarus, come out here from that tomb. And he comes out and he's now alive. Um, and news of that miracle was spreading all over. And so what people were hearing was that Jesus gives life. Jesus works miracles. He does supernatural things. And everybody in all of the land was hearing about it and were telling their friends and the neighbors, have you heard about this man named Lazarus? He was dead. He was in a tomb. He was gone. And Jesus raised him from the dead. And then we also have the religious leaders at that time. They have decided to kill Jesus because they were afraid of the the fact that they were losing their power, they were losing their influence, and they also decided to kill Lazarus. They're like, hey, we got to take him out too so the story can just go away. And then finally, we have this moment in John chapter 12, 1 through 11, where Jesus arrives to the city of Bethany and he's at this meal. And this woman named Mary, who happened to be Lazarus's sister, she comes and sits at his feet and she has this really expensive perfume and oil. She opens it, she dumps it on Jesus' feet, she washes his feet, anoints him, and it's an act of worship. So all that has happened up to this point. And now what we're going to do is read John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. We read, The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, Hosanna, or praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. Everyone has gone after him. So it's interesting how many times in the Gospels, we, especially in the Gospel of John, we have seen that people watch and see Jesus. They hear Jesus. They see miracles. And then what's the first thing they do is they go out and tell everyone. Have you noticed that? Like time and time again, we see this theme where we're, where Jesus teaches, speaks, demonstrates the kingdom, raises somebody from the dead, heals someone, does some you know, miracle like turning water into wine. He does these things, and then people naturally want to go and tell people about Jesus. And so this huge ga- crowd has gathered in this moment in Jerusalem. In fact, what people were doing is they were making their way to Jerusalem to participate in the Passover celebration. And, and, and so what's happening is all these people have gathered there and then they hear that Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem and his fame is on the rise. And so everybody goes out to try to meet Jesus on the road 
that he was traveling on. And it's interesting because I think there's a number of reasons why people wanted to, to see Jesus. I've, I've thought about this in our context. If we knew that somebody was doing these things, what would we do? And, and the people at that time, they knew and they had been told that Jesus regularly spoke truth to those in power. Jesus was not afraid of calling out the people who were being oppressive. That's one of the things I love about Jesus. Like he had no problem speaking truth to power. And he was absolutely unafraid of the consequences, wasn't he? He would call the religious leaders of the day a brood of vipers. It's like, man, totally unafraid of the consequences. He performs miracle after miracle. He teaches everyone. I mean, Jesus didn't say, hey, listen, if your economic social status does not, does not arrive in this upper tier of people, you are not welcome here. Jesus goes out and regularly engages marginalized, oppressed, overlooked, sinners, broken people, all the people that we tend to judge. He teaches all of them. He does so with authority, with competence, compassion, and he, he keeps on telling the truth. So the crowd has come to see Jesus, but they've also, in a sense, come to see Lazarus because word was spreading quickly about this supernatural event that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead after being buried for four days. And if you have to understand, in that context, in that day, it would regularly take somebody about two weeks to fully deteriorate in that, in that cultural context. So four days in a grave, you have to understand Lazarus's raising was absolutely a miracle. It was not a misunderstanding, right? It wasn't like he had fallen asleep, the nap got extended, you know? This is an absolute miracle that everybody knows. And this is one of the most significant miracles in all of the Gospel of John. And what this helps us understand prior to the resurrection of Jesus is that Jesus is sovereign over death. Amen? He is sovereign over death. And I've thought about that quite a bit because to me, like we can come up with lists of problems that we have. Like think about some of the problems that we maybe have in this room. Economic challenges, relational challenges, right? Are you with me? Right? You know, you, you maybe you have job. Anybody having job problems because your boss is a jerk face? Don't raise your hand if you work here at the vineyard. Moving on. Right? Like we have all these different things that we could, we could say. But would you agree with me that like the, probably the biggest problem we'd have would be death? Right? Like if you die, it's over. Like that's the worst, that's the worst challenge you might have. And Jesus is saying that he is sovereign over death. And what that does for me is it gives me hope that no matter what circumstance I find myself in, Jesus is able to provide redemption, salvation, and hope through that. Amen? I mean, it's true, right? And so we see this theme being fleshed out here. And so when the crowd hears that Jesus is coming, they line up on the road, they, they do their best to honor Jesus, and they place these palm branches. They place these palm branches before Jesus, laying it at the feet of of this donkey bringing him into town. And they do that because what they're trying to do is they're trying to, in their cultural context, roll out the red carpet, right? They're doing this to honor Jesus. And it's really clear in this text that the people are, are absolutely excited about the fact that Jesus is coming to town. They roll out the carpet. Now, here's the thing. There's no doubt that a significant part of the people who participate in Jesus' arrival here, a big part of it is that they assumed that Jesus was about to declare himself king and Messiah, and 
correspondingly, he would immediately defeat the Roman occupiers and restore the glory of Israel. That's part of what's happening here. The people are like, yeah, Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. He is going to going to defeat all the Romans who have been oppressing us. He's going to restore the glory of the people of Israel. We're going to be free. So there's a little bit of self-interest here when they go and they uh, like roll out the red carpet. You, you with me? It's like, yeah, someone's coming to town. They're going to lower taxes. We go out there and we roll out the red carpet, right? There's a bit of self-interest happening in this text, all right? But here's what I think is really interesting about this. Have you ever noticed that this phenomenon happens every single election cycle? Have you noticed that? It's like, you know, new, new politicians come into power. We're like, yeah, so excited. This person is going to fix everything. And then what happens? It's like six months later, we're like, that did not work out. Gas prices are higher or whatever different thing happens, right? And what I've seen, I'm, my whole life, I see this all the time where people, they get so invested, they get their hopes that are absolutely built up and they're, then they're left disappointed after a while. So here's what I want to tell you this morning, okay? This is what we all need to know. Does not matter what po- political affiliation you have. There is no human politician that can ever bring the type of hope and sustainable lordship as Jesus. Can we say amen to that? I mean, like, I'm telling you, I'm 44 years old, and all I can tell you is that every single politician who has ever run leaves me feeling disappointed. So every, every year when there's like a political vote, I always want to just write Jesus' name in, right? And here's the, here's the great thing about that is that eventually one day I'm going to win. <laughs> Jesus is going to return and restore his, his, his kingdom here on earth in its fullness. And what we do now is it seems like we settle for the least terrible candidate every single election cycle, right? And so I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying we shouldn't participate in the political process. It doesn't mean that sometimes we shouldn't vote for the least terrible person. But let's keep things in perspective. Jesus is Lord. Amen? He is Lord and He will ultimately, He will ultimately have all the answers to the challenges that we have in this world. So the people go out to Jerusalem and they start, they start declaring with their lips praises upon Jesus. Hosanna! Praise God. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the one who represents God. And they say, hail to the King. And I think this helps us get a picture toward one aspect of worship, though. It includes words. Worship includes words. When we, when we have our hearts filled up with love and hope and redemption and restoration and, and healing, what naturally happens is it has to come out, doesn't it? It has to come out. And that's what Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we see that happening a bit here, too, is that people Though they were misguided in Jerusalem, they didn't fully understand the nature of Jesus' kingship. They still couldn't help but praise Him because they, be, they, were, they were seeing who He was. They, they knew that He was there for a purpose. And that gets us to this, this last thing that I think is so beautiful here. Jesus rides a donkey. 
One of the most counter-cultural aspects of Jesus' ministry is how humble he is. And I want us to think about this in light of all other world leaders that we generally see. Do you see the contrast here? It's, it's absolutely amazing. Because most, most of, of world leaders, when they are, are declaring their kingship, they don't ride donkeys, they ride white horses, right? Because it's a military conquest generally. There's a lot of, of, of humility in this, in this process, but it's everything to do with his whole entire life. Jesus' birth is an act of humility. He's born in ancient Israel, in the city of Bethlehem, to young parents. His, his mom, Mary, was probably 13 years old, if that. Um, they're not rich, they're not famous. The first night that Jesus was born, he, he sleeps in a manger in an area where the animals are kept. If that isn't an act of, of humility, I don't know what is. We see it in his ministry. Jesus hangs out with ordinary and broken people over and over again. He stands up for the underdogs. He stands up for the marginalized. He's constantly inviting those who are on the outskirts of culture and society, and he's welcoming them, welcoming them those people in. Everything about Jesus as we see it, is a demonstration of humility and servanthood over and over again. And we'll see more of this servant leadership in the Gospel of John if you keep reading um, this week. You're going to see Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. I mean, servant, servant leadership is the, it's the way that the kingdom of God works. Like, if you want to be a leader in the kingdom, you must become a servant. That's how it works. Yesterday, I was um, driving here. We had a funeral um, service yesterday, and I was driving in, and it was just kind of thinking, and um, I saw a car here, and Mike Belitho was here. I don't know if Mike's in here right now, but Mike Belitho, big bald guy. You guys all know who I'm talking about? Yeah. He's pretty ugly, but we'll talk about something else later. But Mike's, Mike's a really good friend of ours. You know, he, he was part of our church in Wisconsin that moved out here. Um, and he just is, Mike embodies servant leadership in everything he does. Because yesterday, he comes on Saturdays. No one asks him. He just comes and he does all this outside building and grounds work. He's like mowing the grass and trimming trees and pulling out weeds and all those things. He's doing something he never ever tells us about it. He never ever has to be asked. He does it because he's a servant. And that's the type of, of leadership that we need in the kingdom of God. And so if you want to set your sights on what to emulate, we start with Jesus. And you see, Jesus was not about, about trying to lord himself over people. He served people. And by serving people, he demonstrated that he is the Messiah. He is Lord of all. He is our Savior. And so we'll see this servant leadership thing all over the gospel. So here's the question. How does Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, arrive to the city, his city? He comes in on a donkey. So weird. It also fulfills all these different prophecies in fact, Jesus' life fulfills virtually hundreds of Old Testament prophecies in his life. And it's the most clear picture, I think, here of what we can see. And I think, 
and I, part of the reason why I want to just highlight the different um, political leadership that we have demonstrated in Jesus is how contrary it is to the way that the way the way that the world works. Do you all see that? That's do you see it? He's so different. He does everything different. He does everything upside down. But what Jesus is trying to show us is how it's supposed to be that way. Our leaders should seek to serve us. That should be what they do, and oftentimes they don't. And so the last thing I want to wrap up with is this. There's this thing happening here in John's gospel. John's gospel, uh, compared to like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is, I think, more complex. And, and so when people ask me, like, hey, I just started... I just started following Jesus, or I'm looking to read my Bible, where should I start? I always tell people, start in the Gospel of Mark. It's short and sweet, highlight reel, just tells you the big picture stuff that you need to know. And then you have Luke's Gospel, which is a little bit longer, a little bit more detailed, but it's also written for non-Jewish people, so like you can read it and be like, oh yeah, I totally understand that. Matthew's Gospel, a little bit more robust. A lot of Jewish background, tons of Old Testament quotes, oftentimes harder and more challenging for non-Jewish people who are unfamiliar with the Old Testament to maybe understand. And then there's John's gospel, and he's doing his own thing. John's gospel is like a diamond. When you hold that diamond up to the light and just turn it, you see different lights emanating from that diamond. It is absolutely so beautiful. In John's gospel, what John is constantly doing is he's weaving these themes into his gospel story, trying to help us to understand who is this Jesus? Who is this man? What is he about? And one thing that John is absolutely trying to do in this passage is he's trying to help us understand that there was a Passover lamb in Israel during the Exodus story. But Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb. We do not need another sacrifice after Jesus. He is the fulfillment of all of those things. All of the Old Testament celebrations and feasts and Passovers and sacrifices point to Jesus. He fulfills all of them. And that's why we don't gather here on Sunday killing animals every week. Right? Now, if we barbecue them after it, it doesn't constitute as a sacrifice. Okay? Just want to let you know. So it's okay to barbecue. But we have this theme. Jesus is the true and ultimate Passover lamb. We have this other theme that Jesus is a king, but he rules differently than every other human leader. So we need to stop putting our faith in world leaders and keep our faith in Jesus. Amen? Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. And this is what I think is really interesting. Let's stand up together. We're going to close in prayer now. But I want you to see this. This is something that is very interesting in the text. So, Passover week, Jesus is making his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. People are pumped up. They're like, yeah! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All hail the Jewish king. They're so excited. And they're throwing those palm branches. And they're just like, yeah, Jesus, Jesus. They're doing the whole thing. They had the wave going on. Okay, It was like, this is dope. Right? It was really cool. Here's the thing. Many of those same people, though, the next week are also in a crowd. And Jesus has been arrested. 
and he's brought before the religious leaders of the day, and, and, and he's, he's being accused of all these different things, and the crowd's there, and they're angry, and they're fired up, okay? And so Jesus stands there, and he, he tells uh, Pilate, he says, my kingdom's not of this world. He's, he's trying to help them understand, like, you guys have these expectations, but I've come to do something different and more powerful and more, more transformative, okay? No one listens to him. And so the crowd, many of those same people in that crowd saying, Hosanna, blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord, they're given the option to either free Jesus or to free a known criminal who had murdered people. And guess what they say to Jesus? They say, crucify him. And so that's how quickly our hearts can turn from Jesus. Happens all the time. We go through one circumstance and we just give up on everything. And so I think part of what John is doing in this passage and in his gospel is he's trying to contrast light and darkness, truth from lies. And he's highlighting for us, what does it mean to say Jesus is Lord? What does it mean to say Jesus is Lord? It means this, that even when you're going through some triumphant entrance and you're saying, Hosanna, we got our tax money back. We can buy what we want. We're so happy. When you're going through those moments and then you go into something really, really challenging and really, really like mind-blowing and you're, you're unable to understand what God is doing, even in that moment you say, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I do not have the wisdom to know what you are doing here, God, but I am going to trust you. I am going to trust you. Jesus is Lord. He is sovereign. And what it means to follow Jesus is that no matter what situation you're going through, it does not matter what situation you're going through, you continue to trust God. Doesn't mean that you don't wrestle. It doesn't mean that you don't ask questions. It doesn't mean that you don't struggle. That's what faith is. Faith is those things. But you don't give up. You don't give up. So Father... We, we ask for your Holy Spirit right now to help us in this room. We pray that ancient prayer, come Holy Spirit. All week long, folks, I've just had this, this like constant nudge from the Holy Spirit on two things. Two things. And one is that you and I, we, we just really need to work hard to understand who is Lord. Because it is so easy in the midst of political cycles and media to lose sight of that reality. Isn't it? So easy. If you live in California, you know that the government is crazy. But it's like that everywhere. And the constant reminder I think we need is that Jesus is Lord. Despite the turmoil, despite the differences between the, the cycles and the ups and downs, at the end of the day, 
Our faith is in Jesus, not political parties and not politicians. It's in Jesus. And so we have to keep that lordship thing first and foremost. And then the second thing, I've just been having this, this nudge, is that if you're going through a struggle, if you're in the midst of your of your valley, if you're in the midst of some type of storm and you are feeling like hopeless or, or feeling overwhelmed, I want to let you know that Jesus is sovereign over all of those things. Jesus is sovereign over the storms that come. He's sovereign over, over the sicknesses that we experience. He's sovereign over the situations that you might be going through. Jesus is sovereign over death. And so I want to pray for anybody in the room right now. I'm just going to pray just a general prayer. But if you're here this morning and you identify with some of that, maybe you're like stuck watching some type of media and you're constantly being bombarded by all this political nonsense and you're losing hope and you're like, oh my gosh, I need to move to whatever country you're going to move to. Idaho, I don't know. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you. And also, if you're here this morning and you're, you're feeling really overwhelmed, you're feeling really, really stuck, you're feeling really like, like the situation you find yourself in, you don't know how God's going to get you out of that, I want to pray for you as well. And something that we often do here at the Vineyard is we just hold our hands like this when we pray. And it's partly because we, we have to like, it's almost like we put into practice with our bodies our desire to receive. So if you want to do that because you want prayer in this area, you are more than welcome to do that. But Holy Spirit, I pray right now for everyone and anyone in this room who is, who is hungry for your presence, who, is, who needs to have your kingdom come. I pray right now that your kingdom would come. I pray that you would give us eyes to see truth, to, to see who Jesus is and that Jesus demonstrates time and time again servant leadership, compassion, grace, truth, justice, all of these different characteristics. Would you help us to see who the true Lord of our hearts is? And then Lord, I pray for anybody in this room who is struggling or going through any really challenging situations in life right now, relationships, employment, finances, sicknesses, whatever it is, God, would you give grace right now to those things? Would you, would you fill our hearts right now with your love, with your mercy, with your compassion? And if there's anyone in this room, Lord, who has not made a decision to follow you, and is right now on that precipice between, between those, two, those two realities, one that sees you for you who are, you are and one who doesn't see you for who you are. Lord, I pray right now by the power of your Spirit that you would open up their hearts to receive grace. And if that's you in this room and you, you want to make a decision to follow Jesus today, I would love to talk to you after the service. My wife would love to talk to you after the service. There's other people who would love to pray for you. So just just come and grab one of us. But Father, I pray now for everybody in this room that you would would give us your grace, give us your heart, give us your mercy, give us your love, give us your truth, give us more compassion, and help us to go out into the world around us and share love and share truth and share hope, God. I pray that in your name. Amen.
folks, thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next Sunday. If you've got kids down in the kids area, make sure to grab them and have a great Sunday.